0: All right, hi everybody. Welcome to the final Zoom Me Midrash class. Um, you know, who knows, maybe we'll end up putting some more videos and stuff like that online. But uh, after a two plus year marathon of almost uh, regular weekly learning, um, I think, you know, I want to take a second and just like voice appreciation for everyone who's come, whether it just popped in for one of the classes or every once in a while, or have been a consistent, uh, consistently uh, attending. Uh, we've really accomplished something quite significant. We've taken uh, You know this uh, a right this kind of like break in the middle of our lives and we filled it with Torah We found a way to connect to each other as we found uh, gathering to be more challenging And we found a way to inform our lives with direction and with intention uh, Drawing on Torah's wisdom, especially when things seem so confusing and up in the air So we've really uh, I think taken the bull by the horns. I hope everyone has uh Set aside, uh, gotten a, a l'chaim ready, because we'll make a l'chaim at the end of class, whether a uh, soft drink or a hard drink, uh, every, you know, dealer's choice. Um, but we'll get to that at the end. But right now, I want to um, I want to dive into the learning. Last week, we focused on a Mishnah from the last chapter of Pirkei Avos, but focusing on the uh, different ways in which people acquire Torah. And we focused on specifically the different interpersonal elements, the ways that we relate to our teachers, the ways that we relate to our peers, and the ways that we relate to our own students as we become teachers ourselves. That's the uh, thread I want to pick up this week. We're going to look at a very uh, often oft quoted Mishnah, uh, chapter one, Mishnah six, um, from Yoshuan and Prakhya. Um who tells us to uh, famously says, Now there's a shlock rock song that uses those as the lyrics. And I, again, am controlling myself. But look up the song, it's great. Um, but Rabbi Yeshua Ben Parachia says, you should make yourself a teacher. A very interesting phrase. And we'll, we'll get into why he uses that verb. Acquire for yourself a friend or purchase a friend, you know, if uh, <laughs> if you're a real loser, but uh, acquire for yourself a friend. Uh, and then finally, and this is an interesting curveball because it doesn't say about how you're supposed to relate to students. Well, actually there'll be a very telling comment about that soon, but he says rather, and make sure that you judge everybody with the benefit of the doubt, or rather, literally it's um, judge everyone with your thumb on the scale of merit, you know, giving people, you know, uh, giving people a charitable judgment. Um, so we're going to look at why is that the third element there? That seems like maybe a sudden change in direction. But I think that the three clauses all work together, and we're going to see how one leads to the other, and then finally uh, is buttressed by the last. So let's get into it. Can everyone see that okay? Great. Okay. So, uh, as I said before, Yehoshu Ben Parachia, Venitai Harbeli, who is his Bar Plukta, Kiblu mayhem, they receive from their teachers. Because remember, the first chapter is a uh, genealogy of sorts, starting with Moses, right? And then going down all the way, the different groups of rabbis who have received Torah in order. So, Yehoshu and Parachia says, Ase rav, the Hevadon Echoladam um, Whoa. All right, I have to do a little bit of the song. So, um, before we get into the commentaries, why is it that he uses the verb "make yourself a teacher," "make for yourself a teacher"? Although interesting, you could be saying "make yourself a teacher." That's not implausible. Implausible. And acquire for yourself a friend. What do you make of those those verb choices? Anything come to mind? They're not maybe the most obvious, like they're seem like specific. All right, we'll let it simmer. Um, uh, but let's go to our one of our uh, accompanying texts. This is the Avos the late Tanaitic, early Amoraic quasi-Gemara on on, uh, on uh, Avos. We've, you know, this has been, this has shown up in a number of classes. Um, so it's the earliest text we have that's commenting on Pirkei Avog. So, we cite another teaching from a different Tana, Rabbi Meir. <speaking in> Ha'ya <Hebrew> Rabbi Meir Omer. omer would say, Ha'lomeid Torah meirav echad L'mahu domeh? Someone who learns Torah from one teacher, to what are they compared? lechad she'hayah Sade echad? Vizara mikzata chitim right someone who has one field and in part of the field that the the owner of the field sowed wheat and the other part of the field he sowed barley and like and maybe another part olive an olive gar- uh, olive garden uh where your family another part of it um you know like an orchard of some kind uh, right, and then he's, he finds himself just sufficed with so many blessings, just super saturated with blessings. made um, me, so that's person who has one teacher. Okay? Person who, ha- person who learns from two or three teachers. Right? What's this person compared? sadot Someone who has many fields. Wa ahad zarah tin wa ahad zaras arim. Bina ta zitim wa ahad ilanot um i uh ilanot ilanot. So one field, one entire field he has wheat. An entire field he has uh barley. An entire field he has olives. an entire field he has an orchard. Uh wa damahu mifuzar bainaha rat so bilotov We find this person well I'm going to leave that untranslated. Okay, who's better off? Someone with one teacher or someone with many teachers?
1: From this, it would appear someone with many teachers because okay, they have why? many fields. Okay, you got a lot of but fields, right? I, I it's like in reality, because you have different points of view and you learn different things. Mm-hmm. Different takes. It could even be like, say, the St. partial class. You could have, like the same Parsha, you can have like three different teachers teaching you about the Parsha. One, they may choose different elements of the Parsha, but even if they choose the same element of the Parsha, you'll probably get a different point of view. Okay, do you get that
0: part. from the mushul though? Or is that your, your own personal opinion?
1: That's from my own personal opinion. Okay,
0: let's stay let's stay grounded in the text.
1: But okay, from the, the Marshall that Rabbi
0: Mayer's giving us, I mean, I'm not saying it's decided. Which one do you think is better off?
1: It's still better off to have many fields. I mean, the first one is good because of one field, you have a lot of variety. Sure. But in the second position with with many teachers, you've got a whole bunch of fields, each one filled with, like, everything you could want. So it's better.
0: Okay. All right, but
1: he has everything he wants in the one field, like Mm. the same stuff. It's just more of it. Like, Mm. I mean, we haven't seen what what they're going to say next, but having many, many fields seems like an awful lot of work.
0: Sure does.
1: (laughs) Versus yes,
0: the many teachers, many fields example is like it fits with like America. It fits with like the, you know, capitalist West. You've gotta rise and grind you gotta to go to your wheat field then you go to your barley field you, you make sure you know you have like so many holdings you're just like you're just like you know passive wealth generation. it's amazing right the more the more the more right more is always better. Um, how how surprised are we though to hear that Revi Meir doesn't think that he says this person is scattered amongst the nations amongst the uh, lands without uh secure goodness or blessing why because it seems like i mean i don't know if you've ever had to manage many different holdings but let's say one of your holdings is in ontario another one is in quebec another one is in british columbia right so you have to be tracking three entirely separate weather patterns right you have to be making sure you're getting up you're you're staying up late enough to make sure that you're keeping track of what's going on in the west coast right you have to get up early to make sure you're still keeping up with the east coast Right so you're you're one person right but you are scattered amongst all these different investments. You know we're used to thinking oh you want to diversify your portfolio. But that makes it because what it is I mean this I think gets at the point in which we think of it all about being consumption or all about being ownership right which is maybe what the muscle seduces us into thinking. Oh if I have more fields I'm going to be richer. I'm going to have more produce. It's going to be great. But Rabbi Mayer reminds us, and maybe he's doing it sneakily because he's using a tricky anal- analogy, is that it's not about breadth, it's about depth. And it's not just about depth, it's also about attentiveness. Because it is very difficult, just like what Susie said, it's very difficult to maintain a sufficient amount of attention for each of your holdings if they are from different lands. I.e., what is really the teacher-student relationship? It's not just about, you know, like, input Torah X into brain Y. It's about a human relationship. And if it is about the depth of that relationship, it is... I mean, I think Rabbi Mayer is saying it's impossible to have a sufficiently substantive relationship with multiple teachers. Rather, what it means to be a student is to be, like we were talking about last week, a disciple. I.e., to get deep into something with somebody to really have the time you need to tend your corner of the garden to diversify yes but to diversify within these boundaries right that you have a manageable situation right in which you're able to be ambitious but in a way in which you can have reliably uh you know reliable yield right that you know that if you know how to take care of one plot it's, and again, it's interesting, it's, it's, a, it's also, all of these mushrooms are very sneaky. It's not, you'd think, oh, the teacher tends, tend, you know, the teacher is the gardener, the student is the flower, right? That's how a lot of these metaphors are in actually in the Middle, in the middle Ages in, in Europe. But this is actually more like Voltaire, right? You must tend your own garden. Who's the farmer in this analogy? Is it the teacher or the student? it's the student so to get back to the kind we were we towards you know power dynamics and things like that last week it is on the student to make sure that they orient themselves in a way that's going to be workable for their own learning you're tending the garden by setting yourself up with a relationship with a teacher that works for you it's better to have the one teacher that you have a good substantive interesting, healthy, challenging relationship with than it is to diversify your investments and be like, well, you know, this one's fine for this thing and this one's fine for that thing. But then all you end up doing is just getting their info, but you're missing the real grist of the mill, which is what it means to be in that relationship. Depth to Rebbe Mayer's understanding of this Mishnah is far more necessary than breadth and far more valuable than breadth. You can have breath, but you keep it within a manageable span because it's about your practice of attention. Okay. Um, so further with, um, further with Avastar then and we move on to the second clause. We're gonna see a bunch of different teachers and commentaries have different takes on these two, and I was like, when I was thinking about how to organize this source, I was like, should I just do, make for yourself a teacher first and then acquire for yourself a friend? But I wanna actually like stay within, I wanna you know, stay stay with the depth, right? Stay, Let's stay within this text and see actually what uh, what else Avos Rebbe Nasser does with it. So acquire for yourself a friend. Ketzad. That's a really good question. Right, because when we're talking about friend here, Although I think like friendship is a really like underthought political category. I think it's a really meaningful social relationship that we don't think of, you know, it's become reduced as like, you know, a kind of a marker of your status. You know, I have like this many friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But friendship is, I mean, if there's, any, if there's anything that's about depth and not about breadth, it's friendship, right? Friendship is, is a love relationship. It's just not a romantic love relationship, but it is love nonetheless. Um so inquire for yourself a friend. How do you make a real friend? It's a good question. made This is kind of like mercenary, but I love it. That you should acquire for yourself a friend. Literally buy them. How? She Vishani Mo. I mean it's not really buying them this is gorgeous actually so how do you acquire a friend you live with them you spend your time with them you eat with them you drink with them you read with them you like you know have like co-play or whatever they call it you just go hang out at their house and you read together you sleep together ie you have like sleepovers um oh sorry you cry imo you read Torah together you read mishnah together you sleep in the same space you reveal to them all of your secrets. That just like took my breath away when I read that the first time I remember. Seter Torah v'seter you Your like secret Torah thoughts and your like secret thoughts just about what you think about life. Right, you're about like the way, you li- the way people should live. Um, <speaking in Hebrew> when you're learning together, and one of you makes a mistake. You, you, you misquote a law, or you misquote, or you miscite something, or you say something's pure when it's impure, impure when it's pure, da. dah, 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 When your chavrusa, right, your friend, your study partner, your peer, your comrade, your collaborator, when they help you realize your mistake, when they help return you, correct you, and then help you work through it. They read through it with you again. There's more reward for that in their labor, in their work, in the effort that they're putting in. Relationships are labor. It's work, Right? I mean, it is acquiring a friend in the sense that time is money. Right? You're spending your valuable time with somebody. Why? Because they're valuable to you. You're showing their worth by using your time. It's not just, it's not transactional. It's generative. And how do we know that? Because you get more out of it than what you put in. When you are learning with somebody and they help you, or you're learning with somebody and you help them. It's better learning than it would have been if you were alone. And it's better relationship. It's a friendship. Something is more there than there would have been if you were just monads doing it on your own. Tovim Hashnaim Mina echad, says the Pasuk from And We're gonna see that Pasuk quoted a lot. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. But I think the Tovim here is interesting. There's more Tov, right? There's more goodness when there's two than when there's one. Because there's the opportunity for one person to be good to another and the other person to be good to you. I'm not saying kindness is impossible when you're on your own, but the options are limited. Whereas relationships continually present you with opportunities to be good. To be kind, to be thoughtful, to be considerate. All right, that's the stuff of what it means to be in a friendship. Asher Yeshlehem Skar Amalan. Right now in the it's quoting this line from Ecclesiastes, which itself is like using very kind of pragmatic thinking. Two are better than one. Why? Because they're able to produce more, because two people can work together, da 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 da. da. But the the commentary on the mission here is twisting that and saying it's not that they're able to produce more, it's that they're able to be good more to each other because they have a focus for their efforts. What it means to have a friend is to have someone worth spending time with and on. Someone to focus your energy and focus your attention. Otherwise, it would be scattered, it would be self-directed, self-oriented, But here, now, you have a partner, and they're looking out for you, too. Your interests are supported by them, just as theirs are supported by you. You realize things you would never have realized before, because they've exposed you to something that you would never have known. They reveal to you all of their secrets, all of their secret thoughts, all all of their brilliant ideas. Torah is born from intimacy, the intimacy of a relationship. I mean, the, the the use of the word Yegala there, kol sitrav. They will reveal to you all of their secrets. What it means to have a Chavrusa, right? A, a friend Torah relationship is to have the opportunity for revelation each time you learn. Because they will reveal something to you you would never have thought of on your own. And you will reveal something to them they wouldn't have thought of on their own. What's possible with a chavrusa that's impossible on your own? Newness. Real Chiddush. Real, the reiteration of revelation. It's Sinai every time, in a way. So I find, I find this immensely touching commentary because on one hand, it's very descriptive, it's very practical. Like, okay, how do you make a friend? Well, you know, you spend time together, you enjoy each other's company, you go out to dinner, fun. But it's also very touching. It's about those little moments. It's about what they share with you. It's about that they trust you to entrust this to you. Right, they're private thoughts. Maybe the ideas they're workshopping, but they're not quite confident enough to share publicly yet. Maybe an idea that they had that they only want to share with someone secret. You know, the, the kind of conditions that this is describing reminds us, actually, in some ways, of the second chapter of Mishnah Chagiga, um, which talks about the special intimate conditions that are needed to reveal secret Torah matters. The secrets of the universe, secrets of creation, the secrets of God's chariot, the secrets of, of relations. In those conditions, you're only allowed to reveal these things in a small, like one or two people who have established a relationship with you. Specialness comes out of keeping our relationships focused. Inattentive. If you're just kind of like chavrusa with benefitsing with people, you're miss you're missing that what the real key of, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm gonna do a chavrusa with you, I'm gonna do a chavrusa with you, I'm gonna do a chavrusa with you. It's like, ah, so many chavrusas. And it's cool. But you miss out, I think, on the the right? the depth of what it means not just to study in depth a text with somebody, but the depth that comes out of building a relationship with somebody. The way you two learn together generates more because of how you've learned with each other. Maybe you won't cover as much ground, but the ground you till will be immensely fertile. Forgive the uh, stretch metaphor. Yeah, Susie.
1: So it, it seems so far it's talking very much about just like one-on-one partnership learning. Like, what about like a class? What about group learning? Like, is that also valuable, or it's considered different? Or...
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think. Um, I mean, that that'll be the case. You know, in the first case of finding for you know, making for yourself a teacher. Right, it's probably going to be in the course, course of a class. And like probably you can go to the office hours or whatever the ancient you know uh, Judean equivalent of office hours were. Um, but yeah, so you're, you're going to a class in that case. But I, one of the things I want to be exploring here is not just finding a class, but also actually how to, I think how to, like, one, you know, the, the classic organizing of Jewish learning has always been peers. And classes are important to build expertise, to build comprehensiveness, to build familiarity with the material. But there is an interpersonal element of peer learning that is irreplaceable and fundamental to the Torah project. And this is getting at that. It's not it's not just like study buddies like, "Oh, we get together and we study together." It's buddies who study, right? It's friends and one and, and, and a major aspect of what it means to be a friend is that you are learning together and you are sharing ideas with each other and you are growing together in that way and you are pushing each other and you are helping each other. A Torah is the framework for what relationships can contain and can promise. Uh, other thoughts before we move uh, forward? Okay. This is just a quote from Ecclesiastes. I always want to make sure that we have it. Um, But I also, on that note, like, you know, looking at that verse from Ecclesiastes, right? So two are better than one because they have much more reward in their labor, because if one falls, the other raises them up. And woe to the one who is alone and falls without anyone to pick them up. Right? So, like, Coheles, or Ecclesiastes. It's a very pragmatic and practical text. It's really, but it also like realizes how powerful and how meaningful and how deep the simple practical things are. Yeah. Two are better than one. Fine. You know, like two heads are better than one. We have that saying in English too, but think about it, right? Like going on a solo hike, if you've ever done it is immensely powerful experience to be out there in nature by yourself. It's also very scary because if you do take a spill, you're twist your ankle or something. You're out there on your own, right? Whereas if you're taking a hike with a friend, or with a couple friends, with a few friends, you're there to push each other. You can sing songs together, you can cook food together, and if someone falls, God forbid, someone's there to help them. There's a security there, but there's also what more elements can generate together it wouldn't be there if it were just. Those disparate elements on their own. So, Kohalis Rabbah is the classic rabbinic commentary on Ecclesiastes, and there's a comment on this that I wanted to share too. So, two are better than one. Two are better than one. Two who are studying, who are exerting effort in Torah together, are toiling in Torah together. Minachad, right? They're be- it's better than one. Not just one person on her own, but rather two people who are just learning on their own. Right? The two people learning together is better than if they had both decided, well, you know what? Better for us is to go ahead alone. (laughs) So if one falls, the other one will pick them up. What does that mean? You know, in this analogy, that if somebody forgets the halacha, the other one will remind them of it, will return it to them. And then we, he quotes another verse: you not take; threefold cord is <laughs> not easily broken." totan, and that is a teacher who can return you from your mistake, i.e., if you've gone astray. So we have a little bit more now of a triangulated or more complex organizing ideally the ideal is not one person in the ivory tower contemplating on their own the ideal in the torah life is two peers studying together who are able to help each other who are able to support each other who are able to um let's say fill in each other's gaps right each of them might have different specialties or expertises that they can support you know that they can contribute to each other but we have a third element too, because you shouldn't think then that because peer learning is what's promoted, that you should go, you know, ironically, do exactly what it's saying you shouldn't do. Never go it on your own, says this Midrash. Going it on your own is the mistake. And you need to be returned from that mistake. Whether it's your peer who helps you when you as an individual have gone, have made a mistake, or It's a teacher, a guide, a mentor, who can help the two of you when you haven't been able to help each other. So we have, I think, a multi-tiered system of support. On one hand, rabbinic culture is encouraging us to find opportunities to study with our friends, to support each other, to um, innovate with each other to come up with our, you know new new ways of reading the material. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean you need to go off on your own together and that you're now like flown the nest and there's no one to help you anymore. You'll always have your teacher who is here to help you when you need help moving forward. I wanted to include this text because even though the bait Midrash, the Zoom bait Midrash of sorts that we've had is ending, Our relationship is not ending. I'm I'm not going to be teaching the same weekly Zoom classes, but this two-plus years we've had together doesn't just go away because the class has ended. The semester ends, the person's no longer a professor. I don't know how many people keep up with professors or whatever, but Torah culture is one that when the class is over, the relationship still is going because the seed is planted. The field is being worked. There's still something growing and I still have a stake in it. Your teacher still has a stake in it. It's good learning when you feel confident enough to want to go and like find a text. Think about all the stuff that we've covered these last two plus years. We've done Mishnah. We've done Midrash. We've done Talmud. We've done Kabbalah. We've done Chassidus. We've done philosophy. We've covered the like, maybe, you know, we've done halacha, right, Jewish law. We've done, we've dabbled in many, maybe even, like really done a, full, a pretty robust range of the genres of Jewish literature, of rabbinic literature. Which ones of those spoke to you the most? Can you find somebody else who's interested in going deeper with you in one of those texts? Can you ask the supports you have in your life, teachers, peers that you admire, etc., cetera, for recommendations or a guide steps forward into how to, take that ta- to how to take up that text learning with you and your friends or you and your peer? Is there something that speaks to you? And can you find other people it speaks to as well? And then also, when you need help, the relationship that's been initiated, that's been commenced, is still ongoing because something begins doesn't mean it ends, it means it continues, it takes a different form. Um, we'll just kind of gesture to this text. So, Brachot 63b has a lot of interesting teachings about how to learn. And one of them, it says that it's good to make ketot ketotes, So Susie brought before about classes. So one model is the dyadic model of a chavrusa. You find one peer and you go deep with that one peer. But another model is what's called a chabura, in which you get a group of people together, four or five, six people, and you study a text together as a group. That's also a model, right? Group learning. Sometimes that can be led by a facilitator. It's like a seminar. Other times it's mutual learning that everyone's kind of on the same on the same page. Um, but what you don't do is bad bivad. Study Torah on your own. Now it's not saying that like it's not a it's not I don't know, it's not saying it doesn't trust you. Like Torah doesn't trust you. But rather there's no one to check you. There's no one to question you. There's no one to challenge you. There's no one to hold you responsible. You can easily fool yourself if you go on your own. The key element in Torah culture, I really believe this from reviewing this material, is support. You have peer support from your chavrusah, from your chaburas, and you have support from your teachers. You should never think of yourself as going it alone. You're empowered to direct yourself what kind of learning you want to do, to go deep into a certain genre, deep into a certain text, to develop a a strong relationship with a peer you're going to study with for five, six months, a year, 10 years, the rest of your life. I know people who have had cheruses for decades. How beautiful is that? How uncommon is that in some ways in this world we live in? Torah gives us the framework for relationships that can last the rest of our lives. The key is to realize that it's not about you and the text, you and, the, and, the, and, and conquering it and learning it all yourself. It's not consumption, it's cultivation. It's the field you're working with another. You can't farm by yourself. The wise person knows how to ask for support. It's the fool who thinks that they can go it alone. And then indeed, as it says, Ela Sha Chotim Shneimar Asher Chatanu. Oh, sorry, no, I actually didn't translate the last part. Me No Right? These studying on your own makes you dumb. <laughs> it's the smart like oh smart people i can do it by myself i'm so smart no but the truth is it makes you dumb because you're missing out on the ways in which others can enhance you the ways in which others can challenge you the ways in which others can lead you to a more expansive perspective you're you're you've missed you've shortchanged yourself when you think you can go it alone <laughs> Now I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying you shouldn't pick, take down a book and like read the book, or take down a you know a chumash, or take down a mishnah or something and learn by yourself. It's not saying that. Rather, the the lifestyle of Torah is a social lifestyle. It is learning with and from others. And the more we give ourselves our opportunities to do that, and the more we have spaces that encourage us to do that. The better. Um, so what are these kinds of ways in which we can interact with each other? Well, one element that I think is, is a real powerful element in Torah learning that also in some ways is like under promoted in contemporary culture is that of, of, I would call it healthy challenge. Um, so we're gonna look at this very famous passage from uh, Masach Tanez, uh, which is about fasting, but again, no Talmudic tractate is really about anything. It's about everything. So, Rabbi Cham, Rabbi Why is it say, Barzel Bivarzel Yachad? Iron sharpens sharpens iron. So a person sharpens the countenance of their friend. Mm-hmm. Ch- yach- yachad here does not mean like oneness, like achdas, like uh, like together. Yachad here, like chadud, means like sharp. Um, Ma Barzel Ze. If you take like a piece of metal, like a knife, one knife sharpens the other, right? Think of like a, you know, like a knife on like a wedding, on a wedding uh, stick, right? Spark, 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 spark. Metal against metal. Friction. Heat. It sharpens the blade. If you ever use like a knife sharpener, right? A knife sharpener is, I mean, can be stone, right? Wedding stone but also, like, I have a steel sharpener, right? Metal on metal. Sharpens each other. So two Torah scholars sharpen each other in halacha. How? How? How can we sharpen each other? And what kind of sharpening do you think is a model that is worth promoting? Versus what kind of sharpening you think is a model that's not worth promoting or encouraging. What's not being recommended here? What's the half amino? Not
1: study alone.
0: Yes, because if you are one knife waving it around in the air, you will probably get taken down by the police. (laughs) True, but But let's assume you're with a peer.
1: Oh, like I guess like to that it's important that you're sort of challenging each other, that you're not just like kinda nodding and smiling, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying. Like
0: I mean, imagine two of you have knives.
1: That it, that it should be a sparring match, like, that yes. should be a debate.
0: Yes. I think it's like, it's stage fighting. You know what it's not? Real fighting. If it was real fighting, you know, it, it, it's not, um, you know, iron sharpens flesh. Right? It's not about scoring points on the other person. It's about sharpening each other. Stage fighting is not about hitting each other in the body, mostly. Except when you finally do that. It's about hitting each other out the swords and making it look beautiful. It's aesthetic. It's about what you're doing together. It's a dance. It's not a fight. And the key to this is that you're doing it reciprocally and mutually. It's not that one of you is trying to win By stabbing each other, chas Shalom. that's the metaphor, think about it. The metaphor is both of you have knives. Iron sharpens iron, sure. The key, the best Torah relationship is one in which you are sharpening each other to help make each other's blades as sharp as possible, i.e. your minds. To question each other so that your thinking is better. To challenge each other, not because you want to defeat them, because you want them to be as strong as possible. Without sharpening, the without working the blade, it, it's brittle and it breaks when it's challenged, let's say, by somebody else. It needs to be worked through heat, through tension, through friction for it to be as resilient of a blade as possible. The dance of Torah is one of sparks. Sparks that light a beautiful fire, not the ones that burn down the village. You're sharpening each other, not to stabby-stab. Not to stabby-stab. But rather to sharpen, to become more honed.
1: I think you can also look at it that your partner is not there to hurt you with the knife. That it that you're not supposed to be defensive, but realize that you're both there for each other.
0: That's a really, really great point, Ellen. That's exactly right. I think who are who who are you going to treat? You know, like here's a knife, right? It, it needs to be the case that you trust each other. Right, like on a movie set, there's all these safety protocols because they're working with dangerous objects. You are working with a dangerous object in the sense that you have each other's minds in each other's hands. I'm entrusting you to challenge me in a way that I, tr- I believe you want me to get better. Not because I think you want to strike me down. There's a kind of vulnerability there and a courageousness because it's you feel secure enough because you trust the other i'm secure enough to offer up my idea to you for you to pick apart because i know that you're doing it in a way that will ultimately improve it because you're invested in my well-being not because you're trying to poke holes in it with your knife there's a togetherness to it it's not a fight it's a dance um so i want to so i think that's i think that's something that we get specifically from a peer relationship that you can't get as much, or in the same kind of way, from a teacher-student relationship. A teacher-student relationship, you know, as we talked about last week, has room for real depth, real power, even intimacy, within healthy boundaries. But when the teacher picks apart your argument like that, you can't get past the fact that it's a power dynamic, and you're going to feel self-conscious, you're going to feel maybe over inspected or something like that i mean maybe in the right conditions fine but you're not going to pick them apart in the same kind of way either with a peer relationship with you and your chavrusa what's possible between the two of you because you're on the same playing field you're on the same madrega, you're on the same level means that you can there's a togetherness there there's a mutuality there and because of that there's 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 more ground you can cover because you're willing to and you're able to go there with each other. Last week we talked about we mentioned how uh, because you um, because you love your friend, right? you want you can go farther with them. I think that's true here too. You can take bigger risks and you, because of that then you can have greater rewards. Um, but it's not just about, you know, you know we're, I, I imagine we're not surprised at this point to see that the rabbis are going to take anything and are going to turn it into being a metaphor about Torah learning, right? Like the rabbis, oh, better two than one. Two that are learning Torah together. Because if one falls, falls in their Torah, then the other one can pick them up. Pick them up in Torah, right? Like the rabbis have a very uh, important one-track mind. And Torah is all things, so they're not, they're never wrong. But... We also don't want to lose the way in which we saw from Abu Strebinasan, a friend doesn't just reveal Torah thoughts to each other, they also reveal thoughts about Derech Eretz, right? Their secrets of the way to live life. There's their thoughts about about existence, about what it means to be alive, what it means to be a human being. And that's an element here too, and I want to get back to that too. And to say that a Torah relationship can all is and needs to be one in which, you know, the most important you know, like every Chavrusa starts with thirty minutes of, of just chit chat because it is a human, it is a friendship, right? you're friends, you're glad to see each other. So you like schma around for a little bit, you catch up, oh, how are the kids? How's, uh, how's this person? How are your parents, etc. right? You wanna know how each other are doing. And then you get into the learning. It is first and foremost a human relationship. So it's a tnan. Uh So this is from the Shla, the Shnei Luchosa Bris, which is a kind of a popular Kabbalistic text by Isaiah Horowitz from the 16th century Prague. He says, okay, quotes, Knelacha Chaver, acquire for yourself a friend. And the rabbis also said, O Chavusa, O Mesusa, friendship or death? This is the famous story about the man who falls asleep and then wakes up and everyone and it's like seventy years later, and he's alone in the world. And he says, friendship or death? Because he doesn't ha- he doesn't have one to talk to him anymore. It's a real bummer of a story. Um but he sees the tree that he had planted 70 years ago, and now it is a, and now it's a large tree, and his grandchildren are enjoying it. It's a very powerful story about continuity and how it's not just about you; it's about how much about how you are in a place of something much larger and that goes farther than you. But when you are with us now, friendship is essential. Friendship or death. A life without friends is no life at all. The Amara Chacham Shlomo Melach says, "Adam below chaver." Kismov A person without a friend is like left without a right. The Chas of a Chasid Rabbeinu Yona, and the pious Rabbeinu Yona, who wrote a famous commentary on Pirkei Avot and also wrote an important and very, very essential work on Tshuva, says regarding Tshuva, Tsarikh If you want to do Tshuva, if you want an active and engaged spiritual life, in which you are reflecting on the state of your soul and the state of yourself. A life committed to growth, a life committed to reflection. It is not a life of solitude. It needs to be a life of friendship. You need to have a friend who you will speak with if you have gone off the path, if you've made mistakes, if you've done things you regret, And your friend is there to help remind you of where you want to go. To give you constructive criticism. And not just to give constructive criticism, but to help you think together about how you can conquer this temptation. About how you can work together, think together, work it out together. Practically, pragmatically. Commit to your success, to your well-being. And regarding them, it is said, nidabru Hashem rei ehu. Then those who fear God will speak one person to their friend. I.e., the religious life requires friendship. Because it requires allies, comrades, support. People that will help support you, when you've strayed or when you've fallen, when you've not where you wanna be. People who will carry you, who will comfort you, and who will help you get going to where you want to go. I think and so we hear a lot, I think, about friends I think providing comfort now but one thing Torah insists on is that friends are not just something you have, but something you're with, someone you're with. And because of that then, they're with you in this journey as well. It's a less vulnerable friendship in which you're not able to aspire together. To go past where you are now. To be honest about what you want and to be able to work together to reach it. Um, Then the second part kind of summarizes some things we've said, but also he brings in a really important element. So we focused before on the the chavrusa as a relationship of sharpening. He says, but that shouldn't make you think then that you have license to be sharp with each other, as it were, to be harsh with each other. The sharpening is because we are trying to hone each other to get us in fighting shape, to help each other advance. But that's done through support. It's not done through nitpicking and criticism. Critique is not criticism. There are two very different acts and very different discourses. <laughs> it says in the Gemara that if two Torah students are gentle with each other in learning Torah and learning Halacha, God attends to them. Then those who fear God will speak one person to uh, and God will pay attention. Rashi understands Hanochin Zaleza, who are gentle with each other, meaning Nosin benachas ruach. They do the Shakla Vataria, the give and take, the hither and thither, the dialectic of Torah, the disagreement. They do it with gentleness. It's not about beating each other. It's not about defeating each other. You're on the same team. You're there to help each other, to support each other, to celebrate each other, to comfort each other, and to healthily and gently push each other. It's not giving us license to knock each other. Sharp is not harsh. He says Lush and Rishon. So understand with Pilpul. Pilpul is like, you know, Pilpul like one word pepper, right? Like, uh, it means sharp dialectics. Like really like nitty gritty stuff. Really like sharp stuff. You'd think if you're being pillpooley right, if you're like really getting the nitty-gritty, you're really like nerding out about something, then it gives you an excuse to forget your social graces. But he says no. Or rather, he'd say, No, listen, uh, it's so much more important that we learn Torah than we care about all this stupid human stuff. He says no. She'll pull midnachis <inaudible> velobitsa is that this dialectic, this back and forth between the two of you and learning, and I would say this applies to peers, and it applies to teacher-student relationship, it needs to be gently, not loudly. Yavin <speaking> <Hebrew> Only when that is offered gently, not harshly, will it be better received and understood by the one that's listening. So you're getting into it. You're having a debate. Know this, know that, know this, know that. If you go hard at somebody, what's the natural human inclination? Push back. Exactly. You dig yourself in, you don't admit any, you don't cede any ground, and you push. But if you debate in a way, in which you are respecting the other person's opinion, taking what they're saying seriously. When you are pushing back, you are doing so with that respect and dignity in mind. Doing it in a way in which you are pointing out something you think they missed rather than showing them that they are dumb. I can, I can testify. It is a much more amenable way to have... I've even managed to have it on the internet if you can begin with the premise of your interlocutor's dignity and that they are worth taking seriously even if you disagree with them, especially if you disagree with them, then, even though maybe they're not going to walk away with conceding your entire point, they will be much more open to it. So one thing he's saying, I think, is pragmatic. If you go in hard, they're going to push back. And if you go in soft, they won't. So you have a better chance of winning. But I think it's also substantive. It is the better, more righteous, and more Torah-dick way to live in this world. Is to come in, is to not forget that your barplukta is your chavrusa. The person you're disagreeing with is your study partner. You are learning with and through each other through this interchange. Even if at this moment you are disagreeing, you are still in some way learning from them. Even in dialectics, one is helping the other. you know, If someone's fallen into error, if someone is confused about something, if someone is hitting their head against a brick wall, you are there to help them, to add your own knowledge, to add your own thoughts, to add your own ideas, to help them figure it out. Um, So we've talked, I think, a lot about what the nature of these learning relationships can look like. But I also want to think about what kinds of situations and contexts we can generate so that we can have the kinds of learning relationships we want. So this is from the Moor Vashemesh, who was a 19th century Polish Hasidic rabbi. Um, and this is from his commentary on the Torah. He says this, says It's, it happens to be the case that when a tzadik, right, a rabbi, a righteous, a leader of Torah, comes to realize that they are going to be an influence in their generation, tsarich achar, the is it is necessary that another person rises to challenge them. okay so a leader arises i am going to lead the people of israel to the da, 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 whatever i'm going to start a new hasidic movement whatever it's going to be the more of shemesh you might think would have it you know would have an incentive to be like yeah listen when the great leader arises you should follow them because he's great also he's me um but no he says torah is systemic torah is systematic torah is social if you just have one guru, something's broken. Torah is bigger than any one person, even a wonder rabbi. So when one sadiq arises, who is going to be an influence in their generation, he says it's necessary that someone else arise as well to present a different perspective, even to oppose them. Ki archius, archius yesh v'ayn because there's many ministers and ministers, you know, ministers and public servants in the government and each is authority um, is discrete right no two people do the same thing in the bureaucracy so how could it be the case then that there's one tzaddik who can do it all I think part of what this is getting at is not just, I think, an important and interesting pushback to any budding tzaddikim out there. Hey, you who want to be a guru, if you are a megalomaniacal, then something is wrong. Um, it's a real serious critique of, I think, a lot of like spiritual leadership and influencer culture. Especially, we can see it coming back in some pretty worrying ways. But we are not God. What's beautiful about, hum- about being a human being is our finitude our specificity our particularity. so on one hand it's important pushback to maybe a potential egotist who wants to become the one true rabbi but I think it's also an important pushback to um, to us to student culture as well so on one hand Lauren this is your defense before we saw the importance of depth, right that we have one teacher that we're developing a, a, a powerful relationship <laughs> with, a thick relationship with. We have one field, and we're able to attend to it. It's not going to be too much. We're not going to be d- just scattered. Our attention's not going to be dragged in too many directions at once. But here, I don't think he's... He's not, um, he's not saying, go get many teachers. Go get many rabbis. But rather, realize that your one rabbi is one rabbi. They'll never make a complete claim on the truth, and if they say that they are, then something's wrong. Torah is bigger than any one person, even your, even your teacher. I.e., no teacher should ever, ever take up the sun. They should never block your light, your original ideas, your chavrusa's novel interpretations. There needs to be room for there to be more than just one perspective or else there would never be any more Kiddushay Torah. Torah is new, it's continually new. It's not ever satisfied. This is incredible, he says, but if the generations righteous do not want that kind of appointment or model, i.e. if someone, it's like a tzaddik, a teacher, a rabbi, it's like, you know what? I don't want to go and get power, instead I want to have chavrusa. I want to have friends, I want to have partners, I want to have comrades, I want to have allies, I want to have peers, I want to build a community of peers. We will all serve God together. We will encourage and reinforce each other in our respective worship. Then no one will oppose anyone anymore. It took a very surprising swerve towards the messianic. The Kabbalists often refer to this world as world of zelu umatze, a world of opposition. He's saying if someone sees their leadership as being about advance, oh, I'm going to achieve this kind of influence. I'm going to press forward. I'm going to. Have I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to penetrate this community, whatever. Then it needs to be the case that someone else will do it because you're living in that kind of world. It's a, com- it's a competitive world because you're competing for power. And thus, if you're competing for power, you're taking it away from other people and thus someone will oppose you. Scarcity. But if you are instead working towards a collaborative, cooperative model, then there's no opposition anymore. It's a circle. Everyone's supporting each other. I think what we get I mean, it's an it's a very it's a very beautiful teaching. And besides this, I think messianic uh, potential, moving from a world of lines to a world of circles, moving from a world of competition to a world of cooperation. Right? It's not an accident that actually, as I think he cites later in the teaching, that in the, when the Mashiach comes, that everyone will be dancing in circles. Right? They don't do line dances. Sorry, Cotton Eye Joe. Um, it's circle dances because there's no beginning and no end. Everyone's equal in a circle. Everyone's equidistant from the center. Um, But I think it's also giving us an important ethic of learning. That all the texts here, I think, are giving us empowerment as students, as learners of Torah, to take our learning into our own hands, to seek out ways to support our learning. A teacher-student relationship should never be one in which you are devoting yourself, in which you become invisible or subsumed in the charismatic power of somebody else. The teacher ultimately serves the student, not the other way around, even though, literally, the disciple is supposed to serve the teacher. But that's because that is an act of grace, an act of gratitude, not because ultimately ultimately, the teacher is serving the student, because the teacher is at the student's... is, is the teacher exists only for the sake of the student. But on the other hand, right, the student, the teacher is is, is benefiting the, the student's life. The teacher is benefiting the student's life. And because of that then, everyone needs to, ma- to maintain uh, a sense of their own emplacement within a larger system. Every teacher has their own teachers. Every teacher has their own chavrusas. No one is ever on their own, no one is ever unsupported, no one is ever enough just on their own. Everyone is always drawing from others and giving to others, drawing from them and giving to others, giving to each other, supporting each other. The truth is that in the messianic frame of mind, there is no such thing as teacher and student because as we saw last week, you learn the most from your students. Every relationship really is a chavrusa, if we're able to see it that way. The most robust, the most healthy, the most exciting, the most ambitious—in a sense—learning relationships are ones in which everyone is benefiting from each other. Re- relationships of reciprocality. So, as we head off on our own, as we're cl- as we're closing our our formal learning in the Zoom Zoom bait midrash. But again, we will have in-person classes again. Um, it's the goal of this was this was to plant the seed, to give you experience with Torah, to give you encouragement for your own Torah. To contribute as much as you receive, if not more. I spent years gaining familiarity and facility with these texts. But Torah is not text. Torah is what happens between you and the text. It's worth learning grammar, as I point out all the time. It's worth learning Hebrew. It's worth learning the material to get a familiarity with the way that the rabbis talk, because then you'll be able to understand it better. But Torah isn't just translation. Torah is about understanding, and Torah is about coming to new understandings through your own relationship. Torah is a social practice between you and a peer, you and a teacher, you and a student, because the fundamental nature of Torah is relational. Torah is a relation between you and Torah. You're never on your own. And in that relationship, when two talmidei chachamim learn together, Hashem makshiv. It's when people learn together that God attends. It's in that relationality, that interhuman beauty. What's generated more through two people caring for and about each other, that mourness is where God lives. Um, as always, there's way too much to do, but you'll, I will provide the source sheets so you'll have more to get to um, with the with Chavrusa, with with I hope. Um, but I want to close with this teaching from the Der Haim, which is the Maharal's commentary, also 16th century, also from uh, Bohemia, uh, Yehuda Loew of Prague. Uh, he sees Torah as not just a technical relationship between two people studying, but he's saying it's actually a model about what it means to be alive, but what it means to be um, to be a human being, what it means to be in a society. He says this. When he says, make for yourself a teacher. He says, in phrasing it that way, he did not mean that this would be your most dear mentor. You don't need to set up your teacher to be your one and only. The Ma'or v'shemesh was very clear about that. Rather, you must initiate and make for yourself a teacher, even if this person isn't fit, per se, to be the one. You have to make it happen for you. That's why it's make for yourself a teacher. You choose the teacher. You extract learning from them. You choose to be grateful for what you've realized you've gotten from them. And similarly, acquire for yourself a friend. Not always somebody who maybe is going to be always there for you all the time. Friendship, they have their own things going on, their own needs, their own challenges. No one relationship is ever going to be perfect. But you've made a mistake if you think a relationship is about what you get from somebody all the time. It's also how about what you're able to be present with somebody, to give to. In both cases, he says, even if one's teacher is not entirely at the level a teacher can be, or if your friend is not ideally perhaps what a friend could be still, two are better than one. I.e., you should not set up, I think, too high expectations in terms of what you can get because to think of human beings as someone you can get something from means you're going to be setting yourself up for disappointment. Start from the premise that everyone's imperfect and then realize that gratitude is a choice that you can make. That there's always a choice you can make to learn from, something, from somebody rather than seeing them as not being enough. There's always a choice to see someone as a friend or to treat someone as a friend rather than seeing them as not enough. Make that friendship happen, he says. The Mishnah concludes by saying, back to the third clause, which you thought maybe I forgot about, but I did not. One should judge every person with the benefit of the doubt. Because if you perceive something in a person, they will be who they're going to be. And it's on you to judge them with the benefit of the doubt. Don't push them away saying that they're a bad guy. Why does, he, why does Yeshua ben conclude by saying, have you done the Chodam of haf-suchus? to judge everyone with benefit of the doubt, charitably, generously. Because everyone's going to disappoint you at some point. They're human beings. You're going to disappoint them. To start by thinking that a teacher is superhuman means that you're setting yourself up to fail. A friend will be selfish. A friend will be confused. A friend will be not say the right thing when you need them to. All relationships need to be grounded in forgiveness and charity. Otherwise you won't have a Chavrusah the last 30 years. You won't have a Chavrusah the last three months. These three aspects teach us interpersonal behavior with those beyond our households. The Mishnah tells us to make for ourselves a teacher even when they are not necessarily up to snuff to be a teacher, i.e. Anyone in your life can be your teacher. You can learn from everyone. The question is, will you recognize what, you've, what you owe them? And to acquire for yourself a friend, even if they're not always perfect. And for other people you encounter, who are fallible, not at your level, don't push them away. You must at least judge them with the benefit of the doubt. The general principle is this. Is that it is teaching us a fundamental ethic in interpersonal interactions. For it is impossible for a person to be alone. It says, It's not good for a human being to be alone, God said in the beginning of the Torah. One must have a connection with other people per what is in their capacity, whether as a teacher, a friend, or just another human being. You're on the driver's seat. When you encounter people, Are you going to see them for what is not enough? Or are you going to see them for what you're able to be blessed with encountering? You can meet a zillion teachers in your life, and the question is, will you recognize them? You'll make a zillion friends, but the question is, will you acquire them? You'll encounter seven billion human beings. Will you realize that you always have the chance to treat them to treat them well, to give them the benefit of the doubt. And this quality is found in a person when they bring other people close and love for them. Through this, one can regard another as a teacher, even if they are not fit, and judge each person gently. Right? When two Torah scholars are gentle with each other, God attends. Not saying, What is this person to me? They are fit to be my teacher, not fit to be my friend. They've sinned, they're wicked. One cannot do this. Rather, bring others close. Do not push them away. This quality branches out of one's love for God. This part took my breath away when I saw it. Even stemming from one's love for the sages. One who loves God loves human beings. Since they are God's creation. And one who loves... One, will come, one who loves another will come to love all who are related to you and connected to you. Thus, the mission concludes, judge each person with the benefit of the doubt. For in your regular interactions with your teacher or your friends, it is impossible that you will not see them as having done you some kind of wrong. Because one is so close with them, right? If you spend more time with them, and you expect more from them, and you need more from them, then it's more likely that at some point you're going to be disappointed. That's normal. Intimacy and hurt go together. If you don't need something from somebody, they'll never hurt you. That's the double-edged sword of vulnerability. To avoid that hurt means you avoid that intimacy. It's impossible that you will not see them as doing you some kind of wrong because one is so close to them and it can lead you to chas and becoming estranged. Thus the Mishnah says, as a reparative, as a corrective, as a um, propidudic, judge every person with favor. That is, you're going to judge them. (laughs) And when that happens, do it charitably. And if that's the case, then estrangement will not occur between you and your teacher, or between you and your friend, when you judge them charitably, when you think they have done something against you. This matter is clear. What the Maharal is getting at, I think is that we cannot ignore, I think, the theological element that is beneath all of our human interactions. That what it means to relate with love to someone is itself a religious act. Because you're acknowledging the core goodness that is at their heart, which anything else that occurs within reason cannot deny. It says, one who loves God will love others. What I find so powerful about this reminder is that it flips the dynamic that maybe we, I mean, it's probably not a surprise by now because I've I've said it a few times, but you'd think that what it means to be a student is to be at the mercy of the teacher. But this teaching from the Maharal puts the student in the driver's seat. What matters most is not, in a sense, the information you get from your teacher or the amount of blot Gemara you're able to move through with your chavrusah. The core and substance of those relationships is how you relate to them. You will not learn from a teacher if you are constantly disappointed. You will not be supported by a friend if you do not believe and trust that they are there and are committed to you as well. Core to all of these relationships is not just, I think, need i.e., oh, I need a teacher to teach me. I need a chavrusah to help me move through the Torah. But security, because it is in you and on you to determine or at least contribute to the quality and the nature of that relationship. You're generous too. You're charitable too. How you treat others determines how they can be to you. You will encounter infinite numbers of opportunities to learn. The question in some ways always is, are you open and available to recognizing that opportunity? Not everyone's going to be a capital T teacher. Not everyone's going to be a capital but you will constantly find opportunities to learn from somebody. And you will constantly find people to learn with. Some of those will be formal relationships, like the ones that we have had over the past two plus years, or the ones you have had with your friends and your peers when you've studied this material privately. But some of them will just be emergent. Learning in a way is always up to and down to the student. It's always in your hands. The rabbis tell us to make time to learn, fix time every day to learn, to have a book you take down, you you know, and it's a good idea. Write in your day planner, nine and 30, 9 a.m. to nine thirty a.m. Study Torah. Eight to eight thirty p.m. Study Torah. Wednesdays, twelve to one p.m. Lunchtime chavruta with my friend. Go to this class at. Beth whatever it is. But also, and I think this is a real issue I found working in the Jewish professional sphere, is how frontal it can all be. Learning is a gerund. It is a constantly occurring verb. Learning. You are learning. You are not just benefiting from the expertise of that teacher, this teacher, whatever. You are actively engaged in crafting a life of learning for yourself. And that can happen in formal situations, in collaborative situations, or even in incredibly emergent and miraculous moments. There are teachers all around us, and there are friends to be made. The question is, will we make them, and will we acquire them? I believe in you all that you will. A big yashikoach. Um I'm not going away. I'm just reapportioning my, my energies. We will be having learning at the shul. I give Divrei Torah. We have classes. It's just Zoom. Um, and I hope to see you there. We're going to be having a pre above learning. We're going to be looking at Midrashim about the destruction of the temple. It sounds like a bummer, but it will actually be immensely, be- I promise you, it will be immensely beautiful. Um, there will also be pizza and uh, we'll be doing partial chat, not this week, but we'll be doing a few more of those. And that's also something that we can keep on. We can talk about maybe continuing, um, and, um, and I really mean it when I said, when I said before that a teacher student relationship is not one that ends when the class ends. I'm here to support you and your learning to provide recommendations, to provide uh, correction, if that is something you want or need, um, and to provide support and encouragement. So I'm merely an email or a phone call or a text away. Um, I hope you know that. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Let's make a l'chaim. Um, well, Say Lacha Rav, Kne Lacha Chavar, Lachaim. Racha Salam, Lemshakon, Thank you for letting me be your Rav. I've made so many Chavirim.